Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 666 with Erica Dewan. Erica shares how to decode the cues and signals that make up digital body language. So learn one, the new cues and signals to look out for. Two, rules for emojis in emails. And three, the Zoom rule that keeps everyone engaged. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP666 and you'll find some nifty resources there. Now, here's Erica's story. Erica Dewan is a globally recognized leadership expert and keynote speaker helping organizations and leaders innovate faster and further together. Erica has spoken worldwide to organizations and enterprises that range from the World Economic Forum to U.S. and global Fortune 500 companies, associations, sports teams, and government institutions. Named as one of the top management professionals around the world by Global Gurus, she is the founder and CEO of Cotential, a company that has helped leaders and teams leverage 21st century collaboration skills globally. Her writing has appeared in dozens of publications, including Fast Company and the Harvard Business Review. She has an MPA from Harvard Kennedy School, an MBA from MIT Sloan, and a bachelor's from the Wharton School. Big thanks to Erica for sharing her wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Erica. Erica, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Pete. Well, I'm excited to talk about digital body language, but first, I want to hear a little bit about your body of work in the realm of Bollywood dancing. What is the story here for you? I grew up as a shy and introverted girl in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, and for most of my life, I struggled to find my voice. Uh, you know, you couldn't even realize I was there. Uh, every teacher from kindergarten through 12th grade often said Erica is very studious and gave me straight A's, but every teacher had the same feedback. I wish Erica spoke up more in class. Uh, one of the things, though, that I loved and that really allowed me to connect with others was dancing. And coming from an Indian background, one of my biggest passions is Bollywood dancing. Uh, but with my passion and my work around connection and my research around how we really connect in today's world, I found that so much of it comes not just through our heads, um, but through our hearts. Uh, and so some of the things I love to do is not only Bollywood dance myself, but um, bring the spirit of dance and movement to my audiences as well. Mm-hmm. Well, fun. So then let's talk now about body language or specifically digital body language. You've got this book here, 
about digital body language. Can you share with us what's perhaps the most surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive discovery you made along the way as you were putting this together? One of the things, in, or knacks, that um, allowed me to find my voice beyond just dance was understanding body language and the importance of it to build connections. But, uh, you know, as I use the power of body language to get great, you know, competitive jobs and accelerate in my career, I started noticing something over the last few years that was pervading workplaces and people's family lives. There was no rule book for how we showed body language in a digital world. Uh, and it led me for the last four years to study what I call digital body language, which are the new cues and signals that we send in our digital communication that really, really make the subtext of our messages, whether it's punctuation, response times, how we sign off an email to how we showed up on a video call. One of the most surprising things that I learned um, while writing my book, Digital Body Language, is I originally wrote it thinking that it was really an additive benefit or skill in addition to traditional body language. It was something you need, you know, once you learn the basi basics of traditional body language. But what I really realized um, as we've unlocked our digital shift over the past year is that digital body language is now changing the way we use traditional body language. Uh, my research is showing that even when we work face-to-face -face moving forward, uh, we are more likely to look down at our phones multiple times, to miss the lean-in in a sales conversation, to uh, think in bullet points and expect others to, to speak in bullet points. Uh, and we are missing a lot of the traditional cues uh, of the head nod, the lean-in, the direct eye contact that we used to have. So digital body language is not just how you show up on a video screen or how you send emails. Uh, it is truly changing how we make others feel, not only online, but even in live meetings in our new normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's a lot in there. That's exciting. So you talk about the word rule book. So I want to dig into lots of very precise do's and don'ts and the implications of them. But before we go there, could you maybe share with us a story about someone who was able to transform the digital body language and see some cool results from that? One of the best examples from my own research on digital body language that I feature in um, my book is about a leader named Kelsey. She works at a large company, and Kelsey is someone who really cares about her people and leading her team. But one of the things that she got was some negative feedback uh, through a performance review that her empathy was weak. And I started coaching Kelsey. And when I started working with her, I started to look at all the typical markers of subpar empathy, uh, you know, poor listening skills, lack of engagement. And I found that Kelsey was actually fantastic at all these things. She showed her team that she was engaged in a room with them. Uh, you know, she would ask for their input, um, you know, repetitively. She would try to bring in her introverts and her extroverts. But I realized what was missing was a whole new set of things that weren't the traditional cues of empathy. She would look down at her phone multiple times during meetings, multitasking mm. or signaling to her team that, that, you know, that she wasn't necessarily always paying attention, thinking that it was important to be responsive, not realizing that it was impacting how her team felt valued. She would send one-liner emails uh, you know, that were brief and low context, thinking that she was responsive, but actually it had a major impact on her team, not having a clear understanding of what they needed to do next. Another thing she was doing 
um, was repetitively canceling meetings at the last minute um, and her team would feel devalued. So while Kelsey's traditional body language was actually quite good around empathy, her digital body language was abysmal. So we did a few things to really help solve some of these challenges. The first thing um, we did, and in, in, you know, I'll describe them as sort of three tenets of digital body language is, is follow one of the first tenets, which is what I call reading messages carefully is the new listening. Instead of rushing to respond to things, she took a second thought before she typed and would send all her messages to her team with clear, clear response time expectations, made sure that she could read it a second time for not only what she was thinking in her head, but how others may interpret her messages, especially some of her junior employees. The second thing that she did, which was critical, is she practiced a tenant that I call hold your horses, um, which means less haste equals more speed. So she focused on not rewarding the fastest person to respond in her team meeting, mm -hmm. but the most thoughtful ideas. And the way that she did this is she started to send agendas before those meetings. She was more thoughtful instead of chronically canceling. And she said, you know, before the meeting, I want you to all think about these questions. And then in the team meeting, she had everyone go around and share their responses. And now in video calls, she had everyone share in the chat tool so that they weren't turn taking. And then she would call on the people that had the most different ideas. This allowed her to avoid that culture of groupthink and create that thoughtfulness. And then the last thing she did is she was more thoughtful about how her team could find their voice, especially in different mediums. She found that sometimes, while she was really good with introverts and extroverts face-to-face, -face, sometimes in digital medium, mediums, they needed more engagement. Um, so she had a rule where she said, if you have an idea uh, you know, that isn't in this meeting on Monday, I want you to send it to me on Friday. And what it would do, it, was, it would force her team to think. It would force her to not just reward the quickest person to respond, uh, and it would allow her introverts to actually bring their best ideas to the table. So those are just some quick examples of how what well, we all knew what was implicit in traditional body language now has to be explicit in our digital body language. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. So there's a lot of specifics right there in terms of do's and don'ts to bear in mind. So let's zoom right in to some more of those in terms of what are some key do's and don'ts that you see all the time and make a world of impact when we make an adjustment there. Let's start with the do's. Uh, the first do is value others visibly by valuing their time. Um, don't chronically cancel, send agendas, be thoughtful of people's time. The new art of respect is honoring people's time, inboxes, and schedules. So, so much of this is really around watching the clock, uh, starting meetings, ending meetings on time, acknowledging those differences and showing, you know, that you recognize others and value uh, their, their time and engagement with you. There's so much hidden cost in the emails we send back and forth. The second do is to communicate carefully. Take a moment to think before you type. Another story I'll share is, uh, you know, I once had a client who sent a message to his boss, Tom, that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And Tom's response was yes. Uh, now, Tom was probably rushing. He thought it wouldn't offend uh, his colleague, but reading carefully is listening and writing clearly is empathy. So communicate carefully. The third do is collaborate with confidence and understand that confidence today is being consistent in your messages. You don't want to create cultures where people have to chase you down uh, and being consistent, even if you don't have an answer, but having a cadence for following up matters more than ever. And the fourth do is trust 
others and assume positive intent. Especially in a digital body language world, there are cases where we get all caps emails where feel like where we feel like someone's shouting at us or those emojis that feel a bit passive aggressive. Stay in the place of reason. Don't get emotionally hijacked, and um, and choose thoughtfulness uh, and mm-hmm. giving others the benefit of the doubt. Now, let me give you um, three don'ts. Ooh, if I just yeah. because you said emojis and that was on my list, so yeah. let's just go there. So. Emojis can come across as passive aggressive. How do we think about emojis at work in terms of like never use them or use them freely or use them only under these circumstances? What's your take? So emojis are like our true body language facial expressions. And they do bring emotion, nuance, and tone to digital messages that have are absent of the body language, which makes up roughly 75% of nonverbal communication. I recommend using emojis uh, carefully and knowing your audience when you're using emojis. Emojis can actually provide great benefit. They can showcase happiness. They can showcase gratitude with your team. The best way to decide when you should use emojis, how many you should use, how carefully you should use them is um, by answering two questions. The first question is, how much do you trust this person? If there's high trust, Don't be shy. Use your authenticity uh, and maybe throw in that emoji. If there's low trust, maybe be careful first. Mirror the other person's formality and then decide when might be that right moment um, to sprinkle in an emoji. The second question to answer is how much of a power gap is between the two of you? If is this a CEO, uh, you know, who's who's in their 60s and you, you know, you've never met in person that you're sending an email to, or is this you know, a a cousin or a friend. The, these simple things will help you decide um, power and trust levels, whether to infuse that emotion or not. I would say that over the last year, we've seen a much higher degree of using the power of emojis. And I really encourage it to show your authenticity, again, in places where there is high trust and little differentiation in power dynamics. I'd also say that we're seeing a lot more senior leaders throwing in those emojis or two. And I I think that it can be really great to infuse a sense of emotion or connection. There are times where you'll want to make sure to avoid them. Sensitive periods um, where there's difficulties, uh, situations where you think you're actually using it passive aggressively. We're firing 20,000 people. Prayer hands. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. There's a sort of heavy gravitas elements that the emoji brings a lightness to that that lightness ought not to be brought to that sort of thing. I want to ask you talk about the power gap and the senior leaders. If you are the more senior person, does that kind of nudge you towards feeling more free to use emojis in communication with the junior folks as a means of making things seem lighter, freer, more open? What's your take there? I think that senior leaders. Uh, have a great opportunity to sprinkle in that emoji or two to actually create connections. In my research, what I found is that we are all on different wavelengths of digital body language. On one end, there are digital natives, people that are very savvy in these tools. They grew up using emojis in high school and college. And then digital adapters are the other category. These are people that are learning the new road of digital body language as we go. They never used an emoji for 20 years in workplace culture, and then they might start to try this, which feels like a big leap for them. To give you a similar parallel example, 
my father is a digital adapter and I'm a digital native. And when my father sends me a text message, it starts with dear Erica and ends with love dad. And I have to scroll through it because it's as long as a letter. And I haven't quite taught him that a text is not as a, a letter, but we have to understand that maybe some of our senior leaders are similar to my father. They're, they're new to these things. And so check your own bias. If you're, if you're a leader, sprinkle in emo an emoji or two, it, it may actually bring more connection with your teams, but know that there are some things that actually may go too far. One head of HR that I interviewed said that, you know, she remembers the moment when she changed, um, you know, her communications from an exclamation point to an emoji. And it was like a rite of passage and it was a big deal. Whereas for maybe a millennial or a Gen Z, it's like a simple thing they use every day. The other thing she learned though, is she wrote um, adorbs, like adorable, mm -hmm. but adorbs mm -hmm. in an email with one of her millennial coworkers. She is a Gen Xer. And that millennial said, like, I was uncomfortable with the adorbs because it was, you put it in an email and I feel like email is formal. And to you, email was actually more informal. And so not only do digital adapters and digital natives have different styles uh, around mm -hmm. when to use these punctuation or symbols, but even that they have different norms around where to use them by channel. Well, yeah, and it sounds like you're sharing some really great principles here which are in many ways universal, but in some other ways, individuals are gonna have their own particular preferences, proclivities, nuances, and that's just how they are. Like that would not have even occurred to me. Email is a more formal channel. I prefer not to hear adorbs. Like, uh, I guess I'm, how old am I again? <laughs> I'm 37. You may be more of a digital native. Um, yeah. And I find that it's not just age-based. I know 50 year olds that are digital natives at heart and 35 year olds that want perfect punctuation in text messages. Uh, you know, one fun fact is a research study showed if you put a period at the end of a text, uh, certain Americans will think you're angry or passive aggressive. Other Americans will think you're just using good grammar. And that's huh. another example of how similar to emojis, we are not all the same. We are all, yeah. you know, learning the brave new world of digital body language. So what's important is to check our bias, to not read into things and to really give others the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, well, let's talk about not reading into things. We're gonna talk about the don'ts here. So let's start with that one. <laughs> uh, and then here are a few more don'ts. Let's just say our, our brains just start to go like, wow, what was up with that text or Slack or email that just said, okay, period. Are they mad at me? Did I screw up? Do they think that I'm trying to undermine them? So anyway, our brains just make up these stories and they go running. How should we deal with the internal game when that pops up for us? So when, with the lack of that tone and body language, if you, if you get that message and you see that someone's on the verge of tears, you know that they have good intent. But if you can't see any of those cues, it's easy to get lost in my, our minds, caught up in rumination or paranoia. So here's a couple things that you shouldn't do when you get that message. The first thing you should not do is you should not respond immediately with another passive aggressive, not react with a more passive aggressiveness. <laughs> Instead, stay in the place of reason, sleep on it. I like to call it the pregnant email pause. Sleep on it overnight and come back to it when you're not as emotionally hijacked. You'll come to back to it refreshed. If you want to write something back, maybe draft it uh, and then come back to it later. Another thing that you can do is just pick up the phone. Uh, don't use um, email back and forth if it's not really working for you anymore. Mm -hmm. No when it's important to pick up the phone, I like to say a phone call is worth a thousand emails. And there are certain cases where it matters more than ever uh, to do that. that. That's the first big don't. 
to that point about the phone calls is I, and I think that that's so powerful and it can be worth a thousand emails in the sense of kind of upstream and downstream in terms of positive or negative. And like when you call and you say, hey, you know, when you said, okay, I was wondering if maybe you were thinking X, Y, Z, that could open up a really important emotional conversation. Like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm really stressed about these things. You're doing a really great job. I've been really short with people. And then you've just really strengthened that relationship because you're able to go there. Or you can just have a quick laugh like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that at all. Yo, that's funny. No, we're all good. Yeah, or someone's trying to be funny. And yeah. it didn't go well on, online. And so even if there's nothing there, taking the time to make the phone call can just go miles in terms of enriching that relationship. So I love it. Thank you. That's absolutely right. And digital body language is just as much about knowing when to have the video call, the phone call, the live meeting, the email, or the IM or the text, as it is what we say in each of those mediums. Mm -hmm. I like to say the new, the choice of communication medium is like the new measure of priority, complexity, and urgency. If it's, you know, really urgent, know when to send a text or make that quick call uh, versus an email. If it's high complex, it's very important to know when to have that video call with nuance, with slide shares, uh, or or you know, send a detailed email. And um, if you're familiar with this person, knowing when you can just pick up the phone versus sending the long email or, or where you have to work with their assistant to schedule something on a calendar. Mm -hmm. All right, great, thank you. Let's hear some more don'ts now. Don't multitask. Okay. Multitasking is rampant right now. We are all feeling uh, not only Zoom gloom, but constant fatigue, endless emails, what I really recommend uh, to avoid this just endless feeling like we're constantly in meetings and we have to multitask to just get through the day is initiate what I call the Zoom BCC, just as much as we do the email BCC. If you're in a lot of meetings, if they could be shorter meetings, first have less meetings. Uh, instead of making them 30 minutes, make them 25 minutes, then you'll see you can make them 20 minutes. And then if you have a lot of people on there that don't need to be on there anymore, initiate a BCC rule on Zoom where you can loop people out just like we do on email. This will really avoid multitasking uh, and really get individuals engaged. If you're in a meeting where you feel like you want to multitask because you're not being engaged, start the meeting with what's the agenda here and how can I help? Be proactive uh -huh. to make sure that you're valued. Otherwise, you don't need to be there um, versus feeling a fear or guilt. And if you're the host of that meeting, always start with, you know, here's what success looks like. Here's why you all, I, I need all of your input. And if we're able to get through this in 15 minutes, then we'll end 10 minutes early. Mm -hmm. Simple things like that will quickly avoid um, multitasking, you know, which is, as we all know, pretty rampant. The, the last thing I think is important is just don't constantly be in a rush. We are living in a world where rushed responses are often prioritized, as I said earlier, over thoughtfulness. Take the moment to really reflect on what is a working session that really needs group th group thinking um, versus group think uh, instead of just saying we need to talk next Tuesday because that's the next opening on our calendar. We are not robots and we can't live or adhere to what our Outlook or our Gmail calendars say. We need to think about what will best serve the task at hand and how we as humans need to process ideas and think through things. Uh, before we actually jump from meeting to meeting. Mm -hmm. And in practice, if I want to implement this Zoom BCC action, how would I go about pulling that off? One of the best ways you can initiate the Zoom BCC is 
have a role in the chat box on a video call uh, when individuals do not need to engage anymore or they filled their part of the meeting. Just write BCC, Sam, John, and Mary. And then they have the liberty to BCC out of, of the meeting. That's just a simple way to do it. Uh, I love the power of the video call chat tools because you're avoiding turn taking and and allowing individuals to engage all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so just for any listeners who aren't quite picking up or putting down and tricking for my understanding, Erica, when you say BCC, it's much like when in an email, we perhaps move the person who introduced us, like Dory Clark introduced us. Yeah. Thanks, Dory. We move them to BCC such that they are not privy to all of the back and forth, subsequent emails about scheduling or whatever that we're doing. And so we're using that as a shorthand then within the Zoom chat to say, hey, thanks for that which you have contributed. If you would like to exit now, you're free to do so. Exactly right. Okay, cool. And so that's kind of nice as a cultural shorthand. They say, okay, got it. Just like that happens in email. This is what's happening now. And I appreciate you respecting my time, Erica, and giving that back to me. And I'm going to go do my thing. Or they might say, no, actually, this is riveting stuff. And I really want to see what happens. And I'm excited to have contribute a few more ideas. Then by all means, you stick around. And it's all good. Absolutely. And I think that's the opportunity here. What we're often finding is what happens when people don't feel like they're contributing anymore. They start multitasking on the call and then people see that and then other people multitask and it just creates a disengaged scenario. And so yeah. really being thoughtful about this can go a long way. And again, we are living in the wild, wild west of how we innovate around digital body language. So use your own creativity. With some of my clients uh, who have read the book, Digital Body Language, and we've run workshops, We've initiated email acronyms. For example, in subject lines, leaders are using 2H, which means I need this in two hours, or 4D, which means I need this in four days. So that person doesn't feel like they have to rush. They have four days to actually mm. think about it and come up with the best product. Another example in email is one of my favorite acronyms, NNTR, which means no need to respond. That's simple. Email acronym can avoid 15 thank you emails or mm. okay emails. And this is not trivial. It's actually valuing others' time oh, yeah. right now. Another one of my favorites is ROM, which means respond on Monday, uh, especially if you're a senior leader and you send an email on a Sunday. You don't want to blast your team member's weekend. Let them know ROM that they can respond on Monday. That can go a long way, not only for you to get better ideas from them, but foster well-being. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And that's just very clear because this is ambiguous. They say, this doesn't seem super urgent, but then again, why are you sending it to me on a Saturday or a Sunday? And maybe you just had a good creative spark or maybe it is urgent. I can't quite tell. And even if I have to spend that couple of minutes trying to figure out if it is or is not urgent, like reading between the lines, it'd be great just to have that clarity up front. It's like, oh, I don't even need to open this subject line that's tantalizing me because I see that acronym. That's great. Thank you. Well, so then when it comes to the multitasking, I just want to I wanna get your take about how you say we see other people multitasking on like a Zoom call and then that just brings down the energy and the commitment focus level from others. And I think <laughs> I think what's funny, I think most of us know this, but some of us don't apparently, which is that we can tell when you're multitasking because we can hear the clicking or if you're on a Mac or something like the thunk, the thunk, the thunk, trackpad <laughs> clicks or see your eyeballs reading text elsewhere kind of on the screen as opposed to listening to the person. And so like even with the mutes or whatever, there are many ways it becomes clear that you're multitasking. So 
public uh, announcement there. We know you're multitasking. <laughs> so that's there if you didn't already know that. Can you tell me what are some of the other telltale signs of that? And how does that bring down the energy of the group? You know, I, I think that your your example was brilliant. It is obvious when, when individuals are multitasking versus when they're actually engaging in a conversation. And if you just write, you know, even just like, oh, I agree in the chat, it's kind of like, okay, are you really listening? Versus sending something thoughtful around what was just said mm -hmm. that will proactively contributes to the conversation and adds to it. I want to answer this in a few ways. Uh, first, I'll answer what are some of the common cues of multitasking? But then I want to answer, if you were the meeting host, how do you avoid this from happening from those attending your meeting? All right. So common cues of multitasking, people are just not on video, even though that you asked for people to be on video or most of the people are on video. And I think that there are reasons people aren't on video, but if it is a meeting where everyone else is on video, take the second to think about the fact that you know, other people may think you're multitasking, even if you're not. Another um, another cue is just never looking into the camera at all and always looking down or somewhere else. A research study showed that making eye contact happens about 30 to 60% when we're face-to-face -face in body language. We want to actually, when we're speaking, look into the camera about 60 to 70% of the time. Even though we can't see everyone, they can feel a connection with us. So it mm -hmm. does really help. The third is being someone who, when you're called on, is sort of like, oh, what do we need again? Or can you say this again? Oh, right. um, those are great examples of just the multitasking phenomenon that is existing. So how do you overcome some of these challenges if you're a meeting host? Number one, before the meeting, I like to say the meeting calendar invite is like the new first impression. It sets the agenda for how people will behave in your meeting. So in that meeting invite, have a clear meeting title, have an agenda, write in there some norms. We'd like to have everyone on video. Uh, you know, if you can't join on video, let me know beforehand that you can't. Like instead of creating the opt-in, create the opt-out mm -hmm. of here are the norms and people will automatically engage more. In your agenda, identify ways where you can actually solicit other individuals to lead parts of the meeting or to be prepared to speak around specific questions that you want them to discuss. Then at the beginning of your meeting, um, when everyone's on, actually start with, here's the agenda. Here, I'm, I'm gonna call on people randomly. Uh, encourage that, just like we did in an office. Like, we don't have to be polite. This is how we meet. And that simple things like that will change behavior, as well as using the chat tool. Say, I'd like everyone, you know, as we're discussing this, to share their responses in the chat. We're gonna wait till everyone shares in the chat and then I'll call on people that have different perspectives. And this is a great way as well for people to just pay attention and um, and make sure that you're truly soliciting that, that input from everyone. So those are just mm -hmm. some examples. Again, it's not gonna be perfect, but knowing knowing how to engage the group thoughtfully and then knowing when to Zoom BCC them out because otherwise it will create multitasking can go a long way and just having great good body language. Uh -huh. All right. Thank you. Well, tell me, Erica, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? My new book, Digital Body Language, is out May 11th. If you want access to some tools around it, if you go to ericadewan.com slash digital body language, I have a digital body language quiz that will help you assess yourself 
on some of the categories I talked about, valuing others visibly, communicating carefully. Um, it's free for anyone, and I hope you'll check it out, take it with your teams, and understand whether you're a digital native or a digital adapter. All right. Well, Erica, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote is from Maya Angelou, and I'll share it with you. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And what I find so inspiring about that is that this is a moment that we can help others feel heard, respected, and understood with digital body language. Okay. And now could you share a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? I recently ran a study of 2,000 office workers. And one of the greatest insights I found from the study was that the average office worker cited that they were wasting four hours a week on poor, unclear, and confusing digital communication. If we equate that up to the U.S. GDP alone, that is $889 billion in wasted salary alone. Uh-huh. And a favorite book? My favorite book, most recently, I have many, is Choose Yourself by James Altucher. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? My favorite tool is the Calm app. I really believe in the power of meditation and connecting not only with our minds, but our bodies. And I use it every single morning for a quick meditation and every afternoon for a five-minute meditation. Mm -hmm. And a favorite habit? My favorite habit is to wake up uh, every morning and have a big glass of water with a noon tablet. Hydration is everything. It has changed my life. And uh, if you are not drinking eight glasses of water, go for it and you will see immense results. Well, you know, hydration is actually one of my hobby horses. So you said it was transformational. Explain. I was constantly tired for most of my life throughout the day. I've been addicted to coffees, teas, chocolates in the afternoon. And, you know, after I became a mom of two kids, I have two kids under three years old, I realized um, that this could not be fixed with caffeine. Caffeine is just another addiction and I needed to change my habits. Uh, and so I started to experiment with lots of different things, but uh, the one that has really worked is just drinking more water. And um, I found that I don't love to just drink glasses of water, but I've started to use electrolyte tablets like Noon and others. And just that simple dose of making it not feel like water, um, boring water, but a little more fun goes a long way in helping me hydrate, keep my energy up throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often? In terms of all of my work, I think one of the most important nuggets that has connected most was the quote I shared earlier Reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. We are living in a new world of how we connect and build trust. And as I shared earlier, I think what was implicit from body language now has to be explicit in digital body language. And I, I think that taking the extra steps to truly show empathy and care with simple actions like these go a long way in connecting. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Folks can learn more on my website at ericadewan.com um, or my book website, ericadewan.com slash digital body language, or you can just check out my Amazon page and, and find my books there. Mm -hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? To be awesome at your job, it's critical to get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
to be willing to ask for help. Say what you know, what you don't know, and be vulnerable. Because when you are vulnerable, you'll create the safe space to allow others to speak up. All right, Erica, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck with the book and your digital body language and your many other adventures. Thank you so much. I really got a kick out of Erica's Zoom BCC shorthand there because it is a clever way, I think, of instituting a new norm by piggybacking off of an old norm. And it's a norm I think many of our meetings could use in terms of, hey, it looks like someone is just about done participating in this meeting. So let's give them the gift of their time back and have everyone feel all the more appreciated with the time that's being used, as well as keep that energy going in the Zoom room because there aren't silent folks who are just kind of disengaged and don't have anything left to say because they've already said what they need to say. Cue John Mayer's song. Say what you need to say. Hope you were digging it as much as I did. Hope to catch you next time. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.